This podcast is intended for advisors and staff at the cooperators. The views and opinions expressed are those of the subjects and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the cooperators. We recently lost a well-known and beloved member of the cooperators family, Larry Gates. Most recently, Larry was an advisor in Elmira, Ontario, and he had been with the cooperators for over 40 years. I think this is an appropriate podcast to dedicate to Larry because he was well known for helping people. We're going to miss you, buddy. There's four locations in Barrie, so I'm certain I'm not the only office that was affected by this situation, but apparently I'm the one that got affected the most. So there goes the loss ratios. Sometimes if you can't laugh, you might cry. The situation that advisor Christine Hobden is referring to is the July 15th tornado that hit Barrie, Ontario. While it caused a lot of damage, thankfully there was no loss of life. Christine shared her learnings with me and most importantly pointed out that it can indeed happen to you. Christine, take me back to July 15th. What were you doing when the storm hit? It was 2.30 on what started out as a beautiful, hot, sunny day. And it's a very densely populated community where there's, you know, baby carriages being pushed down the street and kids riding their bikes and people walking their dogs. And the sky opened up with just a huge downpour. So they kind of all scattered and took shelter because it was raining, not because they were told there was a tornado coming. And for that reason, most people didn't even go to their basements. I happened to be with my expectant daughter at her home, helping her with a few things. And we got a text message from her sister-in-law saying, oh my goodness, the windows just blew in on the restaurant. Ironically, I insure that restaurant. And then we realized that it was an EF2 tornado that had just touched down. There were five tornadoes that day, but everybody else knew in advance except that particular spot in Barrie. They all sort of got the warnings to their phone after the roof was already off. Now, people who haven't experienced extreme weather wouldn't know that Environment Canada actually sends out warnings via cell phone. Your experience in this case was that some people received the warnings, but there was some confusion. They did send out warnings to our phones, but a lot of people didn't heed the warning because you just don't think it's going to happen to you. A lot of people thought that warning was an amber alert and didn't even check to see that it was in fact an Environment Canada warning of severe weather coming. So they sort of, I'm going to say ignored it, but they didn't check right away to see what it said and it didn't follow with a voice prompt. Last year, Ontario led the country, this is 2020, with 44 tornadoes. Like again, unless it's blowing your own neighborhood, you sort of don't pay much attention, but these things are pretty frequent. 44 in Ontario just last year. 44 is a significant number. And uh, yeah, once again, it's that uh, it won't happen to me thinking that sometimes gets us into trouble. Uh, Christine, we've all seen tornado damage on the news, but I can imagine it's an entirely different story when you are there. Tell me a little bit about what happened to Barry. Brad, it is shocking. You see one side that truly looks like a bomb exploded. Not that I've ever been in a bomb site, but I assume that's what a bomb site would look like. And then directly across the street, 12 feet away, 
our hosta plants and daisies and everything's blooming and it seems like such a crazy straight line. This particular EF2 had a five kilometer path and a hundred meters wide. So if you can imagine a wrecking ball that's five kilometers long and a hundred meters wide, just bashing everything in its way and everything on either side is perfectly untouched. It was an EF2, which means 180 to 220 kilometer an hour winds. That to me is unbelievable. That's quicker than I've ever driven on the highway. And if you could imagine an object literally flying past you at that kind of speed and the damage it would do when it actually hit something, you know, something as simple as I know one gentleman said a two by four flew into his living room and you think of a two by four flying at 220 kilometers an hour when it hits what it's going to do. So in a way, we're sort of lucky that this one that hit was only an EF2, and if you want to call it luck, nobody died. 11 people were hospitalized. Nothing no, nothing was life-threatening, which again is the best part of the whole thing. Right now, more than 100 people are still displaced. There's damage to more than 200 homes, countless vehicles. I can't even, I tried to get some information from claims on, so exactly how many vehicles were hit by things like those two by fours, and they don't even have a count yet. And right now, there's still 70 homes that are deemed unsafe to live in. And you have to see it to believe it. Um, I actually was a part of the Angus tornado, too, that a lot of you might remember. And it's it's nice to put a little bit of humor on some tragedy. I had a gentleman show up in a taxi. This was before Uber. And he actually came into my office. And the first thing he said is, I'm so sorry, I had to take a taxi here. You know, if you if you can't afford to pay for it, that's OK, I'll pay. And I was like, well, I don't understand. Why are you here? And he said, well, I'm one of those houses in Angus. And he showed me the front page of the newspaper. And in it was the row of houses sort of just devastated. And upside down on a driveway was an 18-wheeler truck, literally flipped upside down. And he said, that's my house. That's my garage. But that truck, that's not mine. And because it's in front of my doors, I couldn't get my car out, so I had to take a taxi. That's probably another good example of, uh, you know, if you, if you can't laugh, then you're going to cry. Uh, clearly a very, very stressful time for clients, Christine. Uh, so tell me, what, what can you do to best support them? And, and what are their priorities in the hours and days following a catastrophe? It's interesting because if you look at our wordings, I don't believe the word tornado ever actually comes up. They use the word wind. And I think a lot of clients that were in that panic mode went to their paperwork if they still had it to see, oh my goodness, is this covered? Obviously after the, you know, is everyone okay? The next question is, is it covered? In addition to that question, is everyone okay? I, I was telling you when we first spoke, one of my experiences was when I had a, a client's wife pass away and I knew them both very well. And he came into my office and my question was, you know, how are you? And he just let me have it and said, how do you think I am? And I realized then that the question, you know, how are you is kind of a dumb question sometimes. So you need to be able to say, you know, how are how are you faring or what do you need or are you OK versus how are you? How do you think I am? My house just blew away. My roof is off. You know, I thank God that my child wasn't sleeping in the crib in the upstairs level because I no longer have an upstairs level. 
I did talk to a, a couple of different people who said that their priority, and you don't think of these things at a time like this, is they needed to get back into their houses to get their medications, their prized possessions, some of their keepsakes. You know, my children's baby books are gone. Or, you know, my video of my wedding is gone. And their pets, you know, you, you don't think about, oh, you know, your cat or your dog or your fish or whatever it is that are at home during all this. You know, if you're with your family and you're safe, you start thinking, oh, I hope that Fido is OK and not, you know, blown away. And, and I make jokes about, you know, Wizard of Oz, but it's it's truly like that. And COVID is actually going to affect these claims for two reasons. There's a severe shortage of rental units. Landlords are banking on the fact that everybody's fighting over rental space and they're charging, you know, exorbitant prices for rental places that before you could have got for a third of that price. There's the shortage and they want one year leases. So the challenge to claims is how long are these people going to be out? And in normal times, I'll call them they would have been able to estimate a lot more accurately. But if you as a homeowner have tried to get your hands on a two by four or a plumbing faucet, you know, it's delayed, it's back ordered, it's made in the States, the metal didn't come from China, whatever the excuses are, everything is delayed, back ordered, and much more expensive than it was pre-COVID. So there's at least 70 homes that are still not deemed safe to live in. That's 70 families that suddenly need a rental unit and the Holiday Inn, as comfortable as it might be for two nights, is not the kind of place you want to live for a year, particularly if you have kids, family. You know, maybe there's, you know, hundreds of rental units in downtown Toronto that are sitting vacant. But these people are part of a community. They have their doctors, their school, their camps, their whatever they're entrenched in in their community. And to put them in a townhouse in Toronto is not an effective solution. Who would have thought that COVID would affect a tornado claim? But it is. So that's kind of shocking to me, too. And of course, Christine, this isn't Barry's only experience with a tornado. 1985, an EF4 tornado hit the city, uh, resulting in 11 deaths and uh, over 100 homes completely destroyed. So I don't want to minimize what happened uh, this time, uh, but it, it could have been much, much worse. I insure a section of Barry called Sandy Cove. And Sandy Cove is a retirement community basically constructed of modular homes that sit on steel girders. I had some claims in Sandy Cove, thankfully of a minor nature, shingles and things like that, a few trees, but nothing major. These are senior citizens for the most part. A lot of them have mobility issues. That's why they're living in these one-story modular type homes. They do have community sections of the park that are structures that are on foundations and made of brick. So you can only imagine, would they have had enough time or warning to go to these community buildings that are on their sites where they would have had at least a little bit of protection from that? So all I kept thinking was, thank goodness Mother Nature decided to head over, and I'm going to say a kilometer or two at max to hit the brick houses versus plowing its way through that Sandy Cove. If it had hit Sandy Cove, I'm pretty sure I would have been looking at death ratios, not loss ratios, because those seniors wouldn't have made it in the structures they're in. Talking to Ian Dixon, the claims coordinator, he said that there's some very interesting stuff going on now with trying to change Ontario's building code. 
And it's been a long process and they're fighting hard. And of course, builders don't want to spend any more money. And he was saying that these hurricane clips, which could be used, he described them as S-shaped brackets that basically connect the roof trusses to the top floor or to the main floor, and then the main floor to the foundation. When you see some of the houses, their roof is not ripped off. It's just picked up and pushed over. Had it been connected, and there's a lot of talk around engineering and going after the city, and there were some bylaw issues that were addressed in Angus, and I think the same is going to happen here. And if they had been addressed, perhaps it wouldn't have been as devastating to those homes as it was. Maybe we would have lost the shingles and some plywood, but maybe not the whole roof. Absolutely, Christine. And cooperators continues to lobby both uh, nationally and provincially for building code changes. We do that as part of an organization called the ICLR, which is the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction. So hopefully we can we can help support some changes that will, will save some lives uh, and, and help people be more resilient in the face of these kinds of catastrophes. A catastrophe is certainly a time where advisors can shine, but let's not forget our claims people because this is when they do their most important work. How are the claims people doing in Barrie? I think our claims people try really hard to make us look good. I think they respond well when we do have someone who's upset about, they don't feel like they're getting the response that they need. They typically will reach out to us. And then when we turn around and call claims and say, listen, you know, John's upset because you haven't called him back about his whatever. And I've had a couple of those. And ironically, they've been about cars, which is interesting to me when I I want to say, you know what, look, lady, it's your car. There are people that don't have a house. They're sort of not thinking about the other people that may be affected. And I think our claims adjusters, for the most part, are fantastic. And I spoke to several people as I drove through the neighborhood and their number one complaint, and it wasn't anyone cooperators, was I can't even get a hold of my adjuster. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've left messages. I can't hear back. Um, I won't mention specific companies, but I was like, well, you know, you're talking about large scale, big companies that have probably a central claims department somewhere and who knows where, whereas our people, according to Ian Dixon, were a couple were flown in. Anyone that could drive to the site was sort of rallied to, can you please go there? And they wanted to see human beings on the ground, which again is not always possible if you're up in the forest or something, who knows? But we were able to get real live people out to say, you know, how are you doing or how are you keeping or what do you need? Christine, do you think we do a good enough job in preparing advisors to deal with clients in those really, really stressful situations. And it might not even be a catastrophe. It could be after a really bad car accident or or a death in the family. That is a really good question. And I truly believe that chances are you wouldn't be in this position if you didn't have a natural instinctive way of this is a people business. This has nothing to do with the paper, like I said. This is all about trust and confidence and relationships. And it's because of those things that we are either successful or unsuccessful in this role. And I'm not saying I'm super successful. That's not what I'm implying. I just, the people part of it, I'll bet you if you surveyed 100 agents and said, what's your favorite part of your job? They would all say people. 
It's the people interaction. It's the relationships. It's not selling a mutual fund. It's not selling an auto policy. It has nothing to do with that. It's about the relationships and the more products they give you and the more trust they put in you and the longer the relationship carries on, the more you feel like you're actually a part of their strategic plan in life. I mean, everything in life is connected to that. And I've always said, you know, we ensure the most valuable things that they have. And I say things, including their lives. So we sort of are always in the background saying, you know, if anything ever happens, then this is how we're going to respond to it. And as far as talking to people, if you can't do that, you probably didn't make it through the interview process. And I'm being serious. I think the people that probably need the most training if they don't already have it, would be claims adjusters. Because I know for a fact, anytime I've talked to a claims adjuster, there is no way I could do their job. Just no way. They see it upfront and personal all the time. And they see the true tragedy, the tears and, and the destruction and the injury that we, again, sitting in our cushy offices, we very seldom ever see. So based on your experience with this catastrophe, Christine, what would you suggest that other advisors could do to to at least prepare somewhat for something like this? All right. So let me say prior to the catastrophe, I think what an advisor needs to do is somehow paint the picture of what it is we do. 20 years ago when I started, I remember I'd only been there maybe two months. My boss came flying out of his office and he said, grab your purse, we have to go somewhere. And he was really serious and he tended to not be a serious, serious type person. And we drove not too far from the office and we stopped and immediately there were the fire hoses all strewn across the road. There was two or three fire trucks in place and this house was literally smoldering. And you could tell instantaneously who the homeowners were because they were standing on the sidewalk, hugging each other, bawling their eyes out. And he looked me in the eye as straight hardcore as I think I ever saw him and said, don't ever forget, this is what we do. We promise to make things right after something horrific happens. And we're going to do our very best to put you back in the place you were prior to this horrific event, whatever it is. Claims adjusters get to see it all the time. But when you're working in a nice, cozy agency, you tend not to see it. So I would say my learning would be if you're an agent, if you have agency staff, new or old, if they've never been to the main event, take them there, let them take it in for a second, and then say, like my boss did, this is what we do. The other thing that I learned is that these storms are not a joke. Don't assume because your phone beeped that it's not important. We carry these things around with us. Maybe they might do us some good. If it says expect extreme weather, maybe take some shelter. And even if it may not look like it's in your immediate neighborhood, this neighborhood was enjoying a nice sunny afternoon. People were enjoying their lunch on the outdoor patio at that restaurant. And suddenly there are videotapes of the canopy over that restaurant flying across the parking lot and landing in the next community. So even if it's a beautiful sunny day, you just never know, maybe pay attention. The other thing is plan where you're going to go. And figure out with your family, like you would do a fire drill with small children, 
figure out, well, what would we do if we thought there was a tornado coming or a hurricane or a flood or whatever else is going to happen? And then, of course, if you have an emergency kit, that's a really good idea. You know, have maybe a copy of your prescription. A lot of people don't even know what they take. Oh, I take this every day and I don't know what it's called. And and I know I'm guilty of saying, you know, oh, I take five milligrams and no, 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 it's 0.5 milligrams. So at least if you had your prescription and I'm thinking if you popped into a pharmacy and said, my house blew away, I need my heart pills. If you had information like that in this emergency kit, you might fare a little bit better. These people were having a hard time getting back into their houses to get their medication. So stuff like that might be a good idea. Maybe have photocopies of your identification, of your contacts. Your phone may not necessarily be on your person. It might be sitting on the kitchen table when your house blows away. And I truthfully am guilty. I don't know very many people's phone numbers myself anymore because they're all in my phone. So I don't need to memorize phone numbers anymore. So maybe even in that emergency box of some sort, you put some phone numbers, put some contacts, have an emergency kit with 44 last year. And let's assume we're going to have as many this year. And those are not the only weather events we're having. As we all know, we talk so much about the the climate change and all the effects of water and wind and everything else. Wind is only second to water and it's happening more and more often. You've been listening to Advisor Network podcast number 25 with Christine Hobden of Barrie, Ontario. Quick reminder. If you subscribe to this podcast on your phone, new episodes will automatically download so you can listen at a time convenient to you. We'd also love to hear your feedback on this podcast, your story ideas, or give us the name of an advisor you'd like to hear from. Or if you just need help to subscribe, send me an email at brad underscore scott at cooperators.ca. 